I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Hello and good afternoon. Welcome to Restore Freedom Weekly. I am Constitutional Attorney Catherine Henry and this is Liberty Lori and we are here with you for episode 41 already. 41 weeks into the year. Uh, this is, uh, like I said, Restore Freedom Weekly and today's topic is State Supreme Court Justices. Uh, I want to uh, thank each of you for joining us today, whether you're joining us live on Twitch, Twitter, uh, YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, DLive, Rumble, or any of the other platforms I've forgotten to mention, um, or whether you're joining us later on any of the numerous podcasting platforms or social media platforms. Rumble or any of the other platforms. Sorry. <laughs> I was just checking to make sure it went through. <laughs> such a great statement to make that we wanted to echo it uh, to, make to follow up and join us on later social media platforms and posts. Uh, so anyway, good morning or good afternoon, depending on what type of uh, what area of the country you are in. And um, we're going to go ahead and get started. So. Uh, and hi, Sherry on Facebook. Thanks for joining us today. I do want to start off by saying I, I didn't want to put it in the description in case it didn't work out because, you know, uh, sometimes the last minute adjustments and things need to happen. But um, <clears throat> in fact, this show's topic is relatively a last minute uh, topic. We uh, have been working on the proposals on the um, upcoming Michigan ballot, which will definitely impact the rest of the country if those go through. But uh, we had a lot of people asking on my thoughts by email, text, social media, uh, in person, on the phone, who my picks were for um, state Supreme Court, both in Michigan and in Florida. <clears throat> of course, I'm still a Michigan licensed attorney and doing work in the state of Michigan that way. And um, some of my adult children, sounds really sad to say that I have adult children, but anyway, some of my adult children and uh, my parents and in-laws and whatnot are all in Michigan yet. So of course we care deeply about who is elected there. Um, but then of course we're living in the state of Florida now. So we have a vested interest here and and I did spend 12 years of my childhood growing up here as well. Jane, hello on YouTube. Uh, don't forget to come and visit us uh, down here, if I remember correctly, not too far south of your beautiful daughter and grandson. Uh, and um, so we have, you have, a, Jane has adult children that have adult children. Jane, that's not possible. That's not possible, but uh, apparently I have forgotten your age, and I hope that I look as young as you do when I get to whatever that age is. And my adult children are only legally adults in some ways. They're only one of them is old enough to drink. So <laughs> let's uh, let's make sure if you are any of my adult children that you don't have children for a long time. I'm not ready to be. <laughs> so 
Uh, and hello to Rick on Facebook. So <clears throat> with that, we will go ahead and get started. Oh, uh, in order for me to share my beautiful presentation I've prepared for you today, I might actually need to share my screen. So we're going to chalk that up to a blonde <laughs> moment. I'm glad I didn't get rolling and uh, having to have Lori jump in and say, wait. <laughs> <laughs> we can't see what you're talking about. <laughs> The thing is, I actually do that to Lori all the time. <laughs> hey, Lori, what about this? And she's like, uh, yeah, I can't see that. Okay, so I was hoping I could minimize the top of this a little bit more, but it is what it is. Um, I was thinking it showed differently last time, but we'll go with this. All right, so this is, uh, like I said, uh, episode 41 already of Restore Freedom Weekly. Of course, these weeks don't count the uh, hundreds of videos and live presentations and speeches and rallies and things that uh, Lori and Mike and I were a part of throughout 2020 and 2021. Yes, I do hate public speaking and I really hate YouTube and Twitter and Twitch and Rumble and DLive. No offense, I hate social media. I like to see people in small groups and have personable discussions that way. Uh, but so be it, this is the way that we now have the uh, ability to uh, share information that is necessary. So since I'm doing this uh, work every single day and I don't like the non-in-person work that it entails, I'm asking you to do me a favor and at least help to share these videos. Click that like button, uh, subscribe, try to get on YouTube or any of those other ones, sign up to get the notifications so you can know exactly when we're going live. Maybe Rumble will eventually catch up and not tell you a day later that we've gone live. But at any rate, you know that at noon, barring hurricanes and uh, the aftermath of hurricanes and the rest, uh, we do go live at noon uh, Eastern Standard Time. And uh, uh, that is every Tuesday. Of course, we do do our little videos and, and whatnot on Mondays, Thursdays, and Saturdays, but uh, those are um, not always right at noon. So I'm just going to, oh, I guess it did scroll. Okay. I was thinking we had new comments or questions we had to start with already, but um, I guess I'm getting ahead of myself. Some, so Some other hellos from Michigan and Facebook. All right. That's a good group. Yes, thank you, Dale, for sharing. I really appreciate that. Um, I'm going to encourage those of you. Now, we're streaming on some of the big tech companies, you know, through Twitter and uh, Facebook and YouTube, for example. But I'm going to strongly encourage you, if you haven't already, really check out the alternative platform, so to speak. I'm going to do that real quick before I jump into today's topic because there's a lot of crazy stuff going on. And, uh, you know, we've been censored. Uh, my dear friend, Ryan Kelly is censored. He's, oh gosh, what is he at? Um, something like a hundred thousand followers or whatnot on his TikTok account. Of course, the TikTok account that has a hundred thousand followers also has two strikes against it, uh, for speaking the truth about the constitution and our God given liberties. But, um, you know, it is what it is. So uh, I've been there myself on YouTube uh, and we had our group shut down on Facebook because don't dare talk about the Constitution. But um, 
at any rate, I strongly encourage you guys to join us over on Rumble, on Truth Social, on Telegram. Uh, I'm not the biggest fan of Parler, but with 2,600 of you watching and following and, and whatnot, what we do on that platform, I'm not going to let you down, those of you who are following what we do on Parler. Uh, but we do strongly encourage you to join us on the other ones like True Social, Telegram is a great one, and uh, and we'll even start streaming live on there if we get quite a few more people that are on that platform on our channel. We do have a group as well, uh, so please join us on those. And uh, quite frankly, I'm going to take any donations anybody's willing to give. If you have uh, Canadian money, if you have uh, United States currency, if you have PayPal, check uh, cashiers, check whatever it is, money order, uh, debit card. I would love to have your support in any way, but I'm going to also make the plug in case you haven't heard of the news that came out within the last week from PayPal that they uh, later retracted, but come on, how long is that retraction going to last, uh, where they are going to start fining people $2,500 for spreading so-called misinformation. The funny thing is the way that they retracted it was actually to come out and say, well, our prior post about um, updating our acceptable use policies um, <clears throat> where we're going to fine you for spreading information, well, that in and of itself was actually misinformation. So I don't know about you, but I would really like to personally fine PayPal $2,500 for uh, worrying me and, uh, and putting me under that stress and spreading that misinformation, right? Creating that anxiety for me. So uh, at any rate, if you didn't hear about that, it is a true, real thing. Uh, I think it was the former CEO, one of the founding fathers, so to speak, of the PayPal uh, giant. Is uh, he, was, he was one of the people spreading the news and telling people, pull your money out of PayPal now. So at any rate, uh, for those of you who are able to join us uh, in some other way, uh, some other platform uh, financially with your support, we definitely appreciate that. By the way, if you love our show, if you love our Constitution Segment Recaps, if you uh, love our newsletter or our website chock full of resources or any of those items, Please, our, our Restore Freedom Constitution app, which is already available in the Apple app and Google Play stores, I'm going to ask you to think about uh, sponsoring a month of one of those. We're going to roll out those uh, specific sponsorship opportunities very soon. We kind of had a, a somewhat of a soft rollout earlier this year, but uh, really wanted to take it up a notch and and make it a true sponsorship opportunity for obviously like the newsletter or the show or our Constitution segment recap videos that if you want to sponsor us and it have... Um, you know, get a little word out there about your business, your group, your organization, your personal efforts, maybe your family, maybe you just want to share, uh, you know, put, put some support towards our efforts in memory or in honor of uh, perhaps a service member in your family or uh, someone else that uh, has loved freedom intensely and uh, would be honored in that way. So please look out for those opportunities um, as well as the typical donation methods that we could definitely keep using your support on. So without any further ado, oh, yep, there's further ado. I can't get the slide to go. All right, now we're really going to get rolling here. So state Supreme Court justices, who and what is on your ballot this election? Some of you in different states are already voting. 
Uh, seems crazy to me because election day is like the first Tuesday in November last I checked. But yes, this is available for some of you that are already voting. Please make sure you're making mental notes about these things. Uh, but uh, for the rest of you that are voting on election day, that is less than four weeks away. In fact, I want to say that's three weeks from today. You know what? One week from yesterday is my baby boy's 19th birthday. Another thing that makes me feel really old to say out loud. Yes, my baby child is 19 years old next Monday. And uh, for those of you who might be supporters of ours from Minnesota, I know there are some of you, I would ask you to do a shout out on social media and see if it makes it back to Alex Henry, that you are wishing him a very happy freedom-filled birthday. That would mean a lot to me. He is my handsome young man, uh, blonde, curly hair, and all curly obviously didn't come from me. That would be from my father. But uh, those of you who know Bruce Reed, <laughs> Reed, I can't even say my father's name, Bruce Reed, <laughs> who was uh, one of our captains in the Restore Freedom Initiative petition in 2020, uh, that uh, that's where my son is lucky enough to get the curls from, clearly. I actually will tell you, I did curl my hair for all of you today. You can't tell, because this is what my hair does when I curl it. But I actually had it in rollers today. Isn't that great? Yeah. That's how much I love you guys. I put in all the effort and this is what I get. So, <laughs> um, okay. So, oops, didn't mean to do that. Why am I talking about this topic today though? Okay. I mean, obviously I support Michigan and Florida in my Zevia ginger root beer, by the way, no caffeine. But you should buy stock in it because I have a monthly subscription to it. But anyway, 25% of state Supreme Court justices in the U.S. are up for election this year. That's insane to me. I never really stopped to think about it. Um, there's a lot of these topics that if you, if these are new things to you, like you didn't even, it wasn't even on your radar to think about, let alone knowing what questions to ask. Don't feel alone. Don't feel stupid. There's so much our government does and uh, it doesn't do what it's supposed to do, but it does do everything it's not supposed to do. And it's also overwhelming that no, no one's ever going to think of all of these things or know all of these things. A lot of times I'm learning these things with you as people ask questions and as the voices on these questions become louder and louder. And I'm like, okay, Lori, Mike, uh, sounds like maybe we should do an episode on that. Then I start looking into it a little bit more and researching and voila, here you get information. So uh, yes, if it's a shock to you, it was a shock to me that one quarter, 25% of all of the state Supreme Court justices all across the U.S. are up for election this year. So do those judicial candidates follow the Constitution and defend your liberties? Do you know anything about those candidates? Ooh, are you sensing what's coming tomorrow for our Wednesday Way to Get Involved Challenge? I think I am. Uh, but what about states where you only have one candidate? Now, another moment of honesty here with you. Well, I'm always honest. I don't lie to you guys, but uh, forthcomingness, I guess. I didn't realize that this was a thing in Florida because we've only ever had a primary here that we've been able to vote in so far. So that was, you know, and that was a whole new different experience. And people we thought we won are still somehow on the ballot. Uh, Non-partisan races, they won, but they somehow didn't win. They're still on the ballot again in a non-partisan race. Yeah. 
So um, we're learning all of that. But uh, here, all the state Supreme Court candidates, they, they're unopposed. They're just listed as, in fact, uh, Ballotpedia, I think it was, listed it, or, or maybe it was even the state of Florida, listed it showing so-and-so's office or so-and-so, you know, Justice Smith's seat. Really? That's their seat? Oh, I thought it belonged to the people of the state of Michigan and they were serving in a capacity, but whatever. Um, so when you have that situation, when you have one person for a particular seat on the ballot, does it automatically mean they're going to win? So it doesn't really matter how you vote. And the answer to that is surprising. And so that's why today we're covering the surprising truth about state Supreme Court elections. <clears throat> um, and Miguel on Facebook is asking about Truth Social. And I am talking about the non-Wimkin version because, quite frankly, we were excited about that in, what, 2020, Lori? We were excited about Wimkin. Uh, it was yeah. Yeah, it was one of the places like Gab, uh, Getter, th those were ones that we've tried posting on. And quite frankly, I don't know what goes on, but we don't seem to get a lot of traffic on the platforms that you would think one would get a lot of traffic on. Clout Hub uh, was another one. But anyway, so Truth Social, I'm talking about Trump's tr Truth Social, say that three times fast, with the uh, dark purplish, with the green little square in the um, image for uh, their logo. Um, okay here. So let's see if I'm smart enough to keep rolling on this. I think we got it. So, uh, 30 states are holding elections. So out of all 50, yes, there are only 50. DC does not have statehood, nor would it ever be constitutional to have statehood, but that's a topic for another day. Unless you happen to have seen the first season of the fifth seat when I was the host of the, uh, wonderful show that we were trying to get off the ground in late 2020, where we talked about that very topic and had a lively debate on it. But anyway, so we have 30 states uh, holding elections for state Supreme Court in 2022. <clears throat> and this year, 85 out of the 344 seats on state Supreme Courts are up for election. And yes, we talked about that. That is 25%. If you are an exact numbers kind of person, okay, I think it's like 24.98 or something, but it's 25%. So uh, these are the states. This is from Ballotpedia. I like to show images and pictures and graphs and things because all of us learn a little bit differently, right? So the states holding elections for their state Supreme Court seats this year are on this map. And to some degree, it's a little interesting to try to follow along, but essentially you have the gray states. Those are the 20 that have no elections for state Supreme Court this year. Hopefully you're not colorblind because otherwise this graph is not gonna help you. Uh, there's definitely not a lot of contrast in colors here. Uh, but anyway, it's uh, the super light, uh, very, very, very pale green. Uh, that would be uh, North Dakota, Utah. Um, am I having a moment? Lori, is that Oregon? Washington's not the pale one, right? Washington's the top state. Oh, I can't hear you, Lori. You're muted. Oh, you're asking me questions. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Oregon is a pale one. 
Okay. Okay, good. Uh, I should know that, uh, especially since Emma's learning more of those uh, state locations and things like that in third grade this year. But at any rate, uh, so we have, it looks like, um, I want to say that might be New Jersey. No, that's not Jersey. I should know that state. Anyway, there's a state over there. Delaware, maybe? Uh, I can't way see too, very well. Yeah, it looked way too big to be Delaware, but um, a state I should know. Apologize. My bad. I'm having a blonde moment. Uh, but anyway, uh, it's Louisiana, North Dakota, Utah, Oregon, in one of the, I'll just say in the liberal region of the country. And that's why I kind of mentally block out a lot of what happens in those states. It's hard. Uh, anyway, those, they are electing one state Supreme Court justice or reelecting or reaffirming or whatever. Uh, then you see that uh, medium shade of green, that's Michigan, um, um, <laughs> Alabama, um, duh, that's going to be, um, North Carolina and, um, Minnesota, Iowa, Missouri, South Dakota, Montana, Idaho, and Nevada. Maybe <laughs> if I don't fail, that's either Arizona or Nevada. I'm losing my mind. All right. So, um, at any rate, those states uh, looks like about two seats each uh, for their state Supreme Court. And then you have, <clears throat> excuse me, um, that uh, a couple of medium shades of blue. Quite frankly, it's hard to see which one might be three, which one might be four. You have a slightly darker um, shade of blue, which is five. And that's going to be Florida and Tennessee, it looks like. And then six states. Uh, six seats in the state Supreme Court are being elected uh, in Texas, and I want to say that's no, that's not Oklahoma. Nebraska. No, the one below Nebraska. Um, what's below Nebraska and above? Is that Missouri? It's just Kansas. That's Kansas. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. I got a cheat map up. <laughs> How many freedom fighters does it take to know all the states? Well, two and a lifeline. Good thing this is not uh, that show. Okay. We used up all our lifelines and we're only a few minutes in. Okay. So state Supreme Courts, uh, this is just some information about uh, this, that uh, every state within the U.S. and D.C. have at least one Supreme Court or a court of last resort. Okay. Um, and that means, you know, place where you can, you have all those lower courts, trial courts doing their thing, something goes wrong, somebody appeals. And so it's the court of last resort. It's typically called your state Supreme Court. Oklahoma and Texas actually have two courts of last resort. They have one for civil cases and they have one for criminal cases. And uh, this says that state Supreme Courts do not hear trials of cases. That's not always true. Uh, there are some uh, situations of original jurisdiction where it's not appellate. There's original jurisdiction and appellate jurisdiction. Your state Supreme Court cases that are uh, by and large uh, known and, and advertised all throughout mainstream media, etc. Those are typically appellate cases, but your original jurisdiction cases often have things to do with um, upcoming elections or uh, different things uh like that uh but they're they're very they're specific and they're they're not very common but they do happen so um 
at any rate, the number of justices on each court across the U.S. varies between five and nine. The most any state has is nine. I'm guessing that's Texas. Uh, they're electing six this year, so we know they have a, more than five. <laughs> and uh, the least that you would have in any state is five. I did put a link here, um, and this will also be part of the... Um, um, presentation that we share with you for Constitution Segment Recap on Thursday. So uh, don't worry about getting any stuff that you need to write down and, and, and whatnot if you're in a hurry to do that. But um, I'm going to take a pause and um, Mr. Henry, sexiest man of 2022, has uh, shared that it looks perfect. Obviously, he means me, but Actually, Mike, I have no idea what you were talking about there because I don't know what I was saying that you were responding to. So um, unless you're responding to Lori's comment about the our updates tab, I think our updates tab does look pretty dang good. Yeah, uh, <laughs> Woohoo! That is the three of us figuring this out when our tech geniuses, Bruce Reed and Joe Moss and uh, Brian Bodie, all had to for lack of a better word, primarily, like pretty much abandoned us in 2022 because of all the freedom fighting things and hard work that they're doing uh, for family and other things that they have going on. So um, at any rate, I understand, I understand, but uh, it's taken us a little bit harder and longer of a journey to, uh, to get that stuff figured out. And we have a comment here. If we heard what was going on in Deltona government, if I heard, I would fall out of my chair. I better not hear about it right now because I kind of like this chair and I don't want to fall out of it. My back's a little messed up as it is. But uh, I will definitely look forward to talking with you, the Liberty Cause, my uh, fellow Volusia County buddy, uh, because who knows, that might be a topic that we need to cover soon. I have a feeling it might have to come after the election, but maybe not. So uh, thank you for letting me know there is something of interest we need to address. Um, and, uh, let's see here. Um, okay. So <clears throat> our friend Dale on Facebook says that Google shut down truth social after a raid on Mar-a-Lago. Guess what? Google doesn't have the whole pie. They have a lot of pieces to the pie, but, um, I actually have the truth social. Where did I lose my phone? Dang it. Okay. Well, I can't show you guys anything on my phone. <laughs> uh, maybe Lori can hold up her phone. Uh, Lori, were you able to get the True Social app by just doing a save? What is it? Um, I, I have the actual app. Oh, yeah. Never mind. Because You're I'm an Apple phone user because I'm, I'm one of the better phones. <laughs> Sorry. Lori should be. She, I should have muted that response. That was terrible that you guys <laughs> iPhones. But for those who are Google users or Android users, uh, or any of the newer versions that are based on some other um, type of uh, operating system, but maybe you're using a browser like Chrome or something like that. Um, I think it might have been through my Chrome browser, but I believe uh, it's also available through the Brave browser or Firefox. I don't remember which one, but I think I've used it on both where you can go to Truth Social, the, the Truth Social we were talking about earlier, that social media platform uh, that Trump and his team put together. Uh, you can go to Truth Social and I want to say it's... Um, save it as a shortcut to your, you know, your homepage. 
And actually, it ends up showing up like an app. Like, no joke, I, I don't know how, but when you go to, you know, you're reading an article on Epoch Times and you want to share it, or you're copying something that you see on a news story and you want to share it, it'll give you, you know, your texting app and email and calendar and Google Docs or whatever else you have on there, Facebook. But it actually recently has started giving the option of sharing it to Truth Social, even though it's not truly an app on there. So, and when you open it, it looks like an app, it functions like an app. It's awesome. So yes, they might've shut it down in the Apple app store, or excuse me, the Google app store, but uh, let's all do our part to try to get away from those evil, evil m big tech companies anyway. Um, Looks like um, we have one on uh, Facebook saying they couldn't get it to work on their Android. And Mike was saying on YouTube that he has it on Brave. So I wanted to throw that up there for oh, Sherry yes. over on Facebook that... Um, He's using it on Brave on his phone. Maybe if she downloads Brave, she'll be able to do it. Yeah, so Chrome, I know works. Chrome browser uh, and then Brave. I think I might have um, also used Firefox too. So, um, all right. So let's roll right back into this. So um, our true or false question of the day that's posted on, well, Truth Social and uh, Telegram, uh, YouTube, Twitter, our website, restorefreedomkh.com. Uh, Lori, help me out. Where else do we post it? Um, Parlor doesn't do polls. Well, Facebook doesn't do polls. Um, well, we share the, we post it on our uh, Telegram, True Social, Twitter, LinkedIn. LinkedIn yep. I'm I think going through the list. <laughs> I think that's all of them. Uh, anyway, so please join us on any of those platforms that do polls. Find us on there if you haven't already found us. Restore Freedom. I think on a rare occasion, it's just Catherine Henry. Uh, on LinkedIn, my community. original account. What's that? YouTube community, too. Yeah, yeah. And YouTube community. Um, so, which I heard YouTube is now going to have handles somehow be used. I thought we already had handles on YouTube, but anyway, I guess you're going to have handles now so you can interact amongst each other in YouTube community. That's going to be an interesting thing. Uh, I don't know who they're competing with on that, maybe Facebook, but at any rate, um, so make sure you go and answer the question for today's Tuesday, true or false. Uh, today's question, state Supreme Court justices like U.S. Supreme Court justices are on the bench for life. Some of them might be appointed, some of them might be elected, but the, once they're on, they're on. So there's no re-election or reappointment needed ever. As long as they want to stay on the bench, they could stay on the bench. So that is today's question, true or false. Uh, please go over and um, answer, um, answer that. I'm sorry, I'm getting distracted about Volusia County News. Uh, Mr. Liberty Cause, you're not helping my cause here to try to stay on task. Turning me into ADD. All right. So what are the judicial selection methods? How are state Supreme Court justices, and I mean state Supreme Court justices, how are those selected? Well, there's six primary types. Thank you to Ballotpedia. <coughs> Most straightforward and easy to understand explanation. So we can utilize that here today. Sometimes as attorneys, we tend to overcomplicate things. So at any rate, six types of uh, primary methods of judicial selection. One and, and this is no joke. This is what is nationwide known as six main types. One, partisan elections. Two, nonpartisan elections. 
Three, we're going to skip and come back to. Four, assisted appointment. Uh, five, gubernatorial appointment. Six, legislative elections. So working our way backwards here, legislative elections, I'm assuming you guys understand what that means. The legislature elects them into place. That seems really stupid. I don't like electing people to elect other people. Nope. We have a Republican form of government guaranteed to us by the Constitution, Article 4, Section 4 of the U.S. Constitution. So, no, we don't elect people to then turn around and elect other people. Um, but anyway, gubernatorial appointments. Now, those obviously mean that the governor of the state makes an appointment to fill a vacancy sometimes. That is uh, only during certain circumstances, like when a an election has not yet happened, uh, or if the laws or procedures say, okay, well, so-and-so retired, there's an election in six months, but we need somebody to fill the vacancy during these six months. There might be um, a temporary um, um, appointment being made there, assisted appointment. Now that um, typically is going to be something like uh, I'm, I'm assuming in Florida, it's, it's again, I'm still learning here, but I think that's what they mean is uh, for a state like Florida, where you have a judicial uh, commission that basically puts together a list of between three and six people. Uh, they give a list to the governor and then the governor chooses, has to choose one of the candidates from that list of three to six candidates. So governor is still choosing or making that appointment, but it's assisted, kind of like in a basketball situation. Uh, okay, partisan elections. I'm going to skip back to the top here. That's where uh, an, a judge or justice would be running as a Democrat, as a Republican, as a Libertarian, as a Green Party candidate. Uh, Nonpartisan election. That's what you're used to in, uh, I was almost going to say Michigan. That's what you're used to uh, let's say in Florida for your uh, city commission seats or your county council seats. It's hard for me to say those terms backwards because that is the opposite of what Michigan has. We have county uh, commission and city council in Michigan. But anyway, uh, so nonpartisan, meaning you don't put your name, uh, you know, where you follow it up with R or D or I or whatever. It's just you running for office. Um, so like the local judgeships that were on my primary ballot in August here in Florida, it was a nonpartisan election. Now, the last one that I have saved is no joke called the Michigan method. The Michigan method. Well, because it's so convoluted and complicated that they actually gave it its own name. It's just the Michigan, like, whatever. It's Michigan. It's them again. Um, yeah, Michigan, you screwed it up. Now, let's think about this for, uh, for just a minute. If any of you were following me in 2020 and the first part of 2021, so the, the, throughout the latter part of 2020 and the first part of 2021, I was really struggling with and fighting with the MIGOP, the Michigan Republican Party, the uh, county Republican Party, and the intermediate or uh, second judicial district, uh, congressional district, excuse me, uh, Republican um, executive committee, and how they were holding meetings because they were doing it by Zoom only, which is illegal and unconstitutional. And uh, they were making things closed. They weren't making it accessible so people could see the meetings uh, hear the meetings as uh, members of the public, etc. And they tried to claim, including the uh, county uh, clerk from my county at the time, Justin Roebuck, who doesn't know a damn thing about the Constitution 
or ethics, but uh, tries to act like he's a nice guy. Yeah. So at any rate, he made it a point uh, to personally attack me and then basically super dismissively shove my, my uh, arguments or my concerns under the rug and telling the rest of the Republican Party that, oh, no, no, the Republican Party, the Democrat Party, no, the, the parties don't follow state laws. The parties don't follow the Constitution. No joke. That's what he said. Well, maybe in other states, the parties are not um, considered government bodies, for example. But I can tell you that in the state of Michigan, Michigan has regulated everything. And there is a state law about every aspect of county conventions, state conventions, when they will be, which candidates they will nominate, what is the process, which ones actually make it to the statewide ballot, how many signatures or votes you have to have in a prior election before candidates from your party can make it to the next election ballot, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So yes, the laws intersect FOIA and Open Meetings Act and uh, um, election law in Michigan. Those all intersect. So why do I say this? Well, because one of the things that happens in these state conventions is that the state Supreme Court justices for the Republican Party, for the Democrat Party, for example, are nominated for the Libertarian Party. They are nominated at their state conventions. And that means just to get a candidate in front of voters so that voters can make that selection at the polls in the nonpartisan election, mind you, nonpartisan, they have to first make it through this gauntlet of party, trying not to use swear words, party bullshit. I'm just going to go with it. It's party bullshit. And both parties do it. Quite frankly, I think the smaller parties do it too. But the Democrats and the Republicans, they got it down cold. Am I just some outsider that said that uh, because I, I wasn't allowed to play with the cool kids? No, I was saying that as someone elected to the MIGOP as state committee woman. And I will gladly say that again from any position because the laws and the Constitution darn well apply to the parties, especially when you have something as stupid as the Michigan method. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, the entire country recognizes that Michigan does its own freakish thing when it comes to electing Supreme Court justices because they are done through the party, yet supposedly run in a nonpartisan election just a few months later. At any rate, so we continue. So judicial elections, there's some information I have on here that you can look in more detail about what partisan elections are, nonpartisan elections, <laughs> uh, the Michigan method, and then retention elections. So retention elections, a periodic process where voters are asked whether an incumbent judge should remain in office for another term. Think about that. Let those words really sink in because that's not, even if you're from Florida and you've been voting this way your whole life, let it really sink in what that question is and what you're doing, what you're being asked to vote on, what power you really have as a voter. Judges are not selected for their initial terms in office using an election method. Nope, that's the governor after that judicial commission appoints them. But 
there is a retention election. Um, thank you very much. I was going to say your username, but it's too long for what it appears on my screen. All it shows is community. There's community something. So thank you, community something on YouTube. Uh, hey, my friend, 2AEDU. I look forward to discussing some uh, firearms updates with you very soon. <clears throat> Perhaps after the election, I can have you on my show. And yeah. Hopefully it's not a time. Well, you shouldn't be mowing lawns at that point in Michigan, uh, but hopefully you won't be too busy. Uh, I don't think you do, do you maybe do plowing, but anyway, hopefully you won't be too busy with the, your day job that you could join us on a Tuesday at noon and talk about some great updates on some firearms things going on. Um, okay. Um, all right. So, um, Back here, I was just kind of checking in. All right, sounds good. Thanks to AEDU. Um, so uh, what about Michigan and Florida? Now, you guys have known, if, if you've been following us uh, since we started the, the actual Restore Freedom Weekly show, uh, starting in January of this year, that we focus on the U.S. and Michigan and Florida. Sometimes, you know, like the Do Not Say Gay Bill, we covered that for Florida, uh, but it had nationwide implications. We've covered several topics that are specific to Michigan, but quite frankly, have wide implications and there's skills, if you will, that you could take out of those, even if you live in Oklahoma or California or New York or whatever. Now, uh, Michigan and Florida both have seven justices on their state Supreme Courts. Michigan, they serve eight-year terms. Florida, they serve six-year terms. Uh, and in Michigan, the state Supreme Court justices are elected through that nonpartisan election uh, that comes after uh, party primaries or party conventions. Now, party primaries would just be great, but that actually doesn't happen. It's done in the conventions. So uh, Florida, uh, they are selected from a judicial nominating commission that has nine members. Uh, those nine members are appointed by the governor for four-year terms, okay? So that judicial nominating commission then uh, submits three to six nominees, and the governor has to choose one of those. In order to serve on the Supreme Court in Michigan, a justice must be a qualified voter, be licensed to practice law in the state of Michigan, have at least five years of law practice experience, and be under the age of 70. Now, Florida, the state where you get a lot of people retiring to, so I get why the qualifications might be a little bit more strict here, but to serve as a Supreme Court justice here in Florida, uh, you have to be a qualified voter or elector, uh, a state and uh, you have to be admitted to practice law practice law in three different states and uh, one, two, uh, two different federal courts plus the U.S. Supreme Court plus a foreign court. Uh, I might be forgetting something. Uh, at any rate, I would not be eligible right now to practice uh, in uh, or be uh, serving in or on the uh, Florida Supreme Court because I have not practiced law as a Florida attorney for 10 years. Uh, and of course, they also require you to be under the age of 70 in order to serve. So in Michigan this year for the eight-year terms, there are two positions. Now there are two incumbents that quite frankly, I think have a chance of just remaining as much as I wouldn't want that. But as far as all the left 
candidates go, uh, as far as all the left um, uh, justices go in Michigan, liberal justices, Richard Bernstein actually joined with, I'll say, the good guys for freedom on several occasions. Now, for varying different reasons, but he joined uh, to um, in a way that ended up siding with the liberty side of things uh, several times. So of all, if, if we had to choose one of them, he would be the one that I would want to stick with. But at any rate, um, none of the other ones are on uh, or up for re-election this year. So he's the only one we'd be voting on. Um, okay, so the two incumbents, as you can see, are Richard Bernstein and Brian Zara. And that's what I was actually starting to say at the very beginning of all this. I was hoping to have a very special guest for you today, uh, Supreme Court Justice Brian Zara, to share with you. Now, Supreme Court justices have judicial canons and a whole another layer of ethics of things they can talk about and not talk about because they don't want to come off as as um, um, basically being biased. Uh, yeah, biased, having preconceived notions, uh, but in reality, they should all be saying the same basic things, right? Like, the Constitution is the supreme law of the land, and every single government official, including and especially justices and judges, have an obligation and a duty to support and defend the U.S. and state constitutions, et cetera, et cetera. So anyway, it was going to be a very interesting conversation, uh, and I don't have my phone here, and I don't want to bog my computer by opening my email, but um, essentially they were not able, his campaign was not able to move around to schedule to get us in uh, with the... Um, fairly quick notice here, but he appreciated the support. Um, so uh, I, I hope that uh, you all <clears throat> consider, try to have those conversations yourselves with candidates, even if it's a state high court. I don't care what state you're in. If you're a voter there, don't be afraid to ever contact any candidate, governor, uh, state rep, congressman, uh, state Supreme Court, uh, sheriff, they are not above you. They work for you. If they're elected, they work for you. You are their boss. We, the people, are their boss. You need to walk into any kind of conversation with a politician, uh, a candidate, a government official. You need to walk into that conversation, not with, uh, you know, arrogance or uh, disdain, or disrespect, but you need to walk into that conversation with the confidence, knowing that you are cloaked with the truth about your God-given liberties and armed with that knowledge of the Constitution and the basics of what all of that entails. So at any rate, uh, I encourage you to have those conversations yourself. But you could see, um, I think her name is pronounced Kyra or Kira. I'm not quite sure. Uh, Bolden, anyways, the last name. Uh, Paul Hudson and Carrie Lee Morgan. Those uh, round out the five candidates for Michigan Supreme Court Justice. Uh, like I said, Richard Bernstein, his name is in black. Why? Because I'm going to recommend that you don't vote for him in this scenario because of the five on there. He's definitely um, not one of the best two. And there's only two positions that you'd be voting for. He's been on the Michigan Supreme Court since January 2015. I was still living there at the time. And I remember when all his ads were running, of course, his 
dad is Sam Bernstein and it is part of the Bernstein law firm, blah, blah, blah. So um, I think he's actually a really nice guy. I think some of his questions to the, um, oh, I think it was to the attorney general's office during the uh, oral arguments when I was participating in the case uh, against the governor for the executive orders in the Michigan Supreme Court in 2020. Some of his questions to the government were fabulous. I mean, talking about living in his apartment building and needing to just, you know, he's up on a high rise, windows don't open, you know, he comes down, goes outside and, and he's blind. He's our blind justice. Um, you know, he goes outside and he finds himself within 15 feet of another human being because he lives in a huge city in a huge apartment building. Um, then all of a sudden he's in violation of some of those executive orders. I mean, he then turned around and in the end um, gave his support to the other side saying those executive orders should actually be enforced for some reason. But at any rate, great line of questioning. Uh, and uh, he's rated by Ballotpedia as a strong Democrat. And I would say read those court opinions that I've shared uh, many times throughout 2020, 2021, 2022, uh, we've imported quite a bit of our older posts that we've made uh, right into our website. So we have a brand new website this year. Uh, it's still RestoreFreedomKH.com. Many of you were following when it was RestoreFreedomMI.com. Some of you have even known me since I was doing work long before that, and it was HenryLawPC.com or CatherineHenryPC.com. Uh, and um, or even another name before that. So uh, if you've been following me for that long, uh, you've known that I, I've put legal resources out for quite some time. Uh, but specifically since 2020, I've put out these, uh, I, I've given you guys copies of my briefs that I filed in the Michigan Supreme Court and Court of Appeals, et cetera, uh, against the governor's EOs throughout 2020 and in various cases. And then I also put out there some orders and opinions that came from the Court of Appeals and Michigan Supreme Court and the federal court uh, for the Western District of Michigan, etc. And at any rate, I'm going to strongly suggest that you uh, take advantage of the fact that we've imported a lot of those older posts on our new website, go to our updates tab and start searching uh, for court opinions. And um, hopefully, uh, they would have the tag court documents, but that's something that sorting out all the tags we have not yet been able to 100% do is to backtrack and uh, make all those integrations to make your searching that much easier, but they are on there. All right. So uh, Michigan uh, Justice oh. Brian Zara. Oh, do we have somebody? I would, I would putting my mouse over it. I didn't mean to show it, but since she stopped. No, I was hoping you were going to read it so I could take a big chunk of uh, oh, do, water. Do you see an advantage to only voting for one candidate who you think is best instead of two? Um, I think there are advantages to both, um, but I... Now, wait a second. We're going to go back to that one in a second. Uh, very great question from 2AEDU on voting, uh, on the types of voting, voting advantages to voting um, one candidate over another, or voting for one candidate versus voting for two candidates in a, in a single question, essentially. Yes, it could be very confusing. 
um, and what there's just there's just a lot. But um, at any rate, um, uh, I don't want to get my husband in the comments thread going too much on voting methods because then we're going to get all approval voting up in here. And that's a whole nother discussion. I did want to share. I saw this uh, from Jane <laughs> to dump Bernstein. So vote. No on Bernstein and pick another candidate because he's on board with Proposal 3. Proposal 3, of course, is the one that we covered in the last two weeks of Restored Freedom Weekly. All kinds of crazy stuff happening there. And um, this uh, that Lori happened to have real quick, um, just out of curiosity, is this uh, my friend Rick Martin that uh, is the Constitutional Law Group? Rick Martin. That's what I was wondering, too. Uh I'm curious about that and I'd love to have a little bit more interaction with you on here if if with you if you're a different Rick Martin you're just as valuable but less context for me is all. Um okay so all right. So <laughs> I was going to share Sherry's Sherry I, I appreciate your comment but I'm going to not share. <laughs> oh, it is Rick. <laughs> oh, hi, Rick. Um, I would actually really like to have some uh, conversations with you probably in the, say, second, third week of November on the show, if you'd be interested. Uh, friends, if you don't know, uh, Rick Martin, I'm assuming is still uh, uh, one of the main people. I'm not sure what the title would be, but uh, with the um, uh, Constitutional Law Group. And we definitely have had our differences on how to best handle some situations, but I think his heart is in the right place and he wants to educate people on the law and on the constitution and not to be dependent on having attorneys represent you. And with that, I wholeheartedly agree because most attorneys give people like me a very bad name. So uh, I do applaud a lot of his, uh, his tenacity and his uh, spunk and desire to educate people to arm themselves with knowledge. So at any rate, um, so glad to have you join us today, Rick. And uh, if you um, if you could uh, maybe text me, if you still have my phone number from that day, we were in the parking lot at the Dollar Tree uh, somewhere in uh, summer, June of 2021, I think is the last time I bumped into you. Um, otherwise, if you reach out to our main line, 616-303-0033, that's on our website, uh, or our email contact at restorefreedomkh.com, I would love to be able to connect with you so we can um, get some joint efforts working. We need so many more freedom fighters working together rather than individually because together we're stronger and we can start to take back our government from all of the bad ones. Republican, Democrat, independent, you name it. Um, okay, so um, back to the candidates. So Brian Zara has been on the Michigan Supreme Court since a wonderful year, 2011. Wait, no, is that? <laughs> um, Lori? That's the year you got married, isn't it? Yeah, that's what I'm wondering. <laughs> yeah, we, I'm trying to remember. Michael Henry, <laughs> did we get married in 2011? <laughs> I think so, because didn't you say, I thought I heard something about 11 years. And it's 2022. I think so. Hopefully, I, Mike's still paying attention, and we can find out for sure. Woo! Yeah. We got her. Yes. Woo! 
a smart hey. man to remember what year. You know, it's usually the woman that remembers. What else? He's not on camera. He was sitting there looking it up. He's like, "Crap, I know it's <laughs> probably... here somewhere." What's in my Google Calendar? Oh yeah. Um, anyway, so uh, 2011 is a special year to those of us who remember our anniversary. Uh, but anyway, he's Ryan Zara has been on the bench since 2011. I have not agreed with every single thing that he has done. Let's be clear about that. Just like when my buddy Justin Amash was a congressman, my congressman, in fact, the congressman that got me into running for state rep in 2015, 2016. Uh, I did not always agree with what he did, but. Uh, by and large, what he stood for and what he was trying to fight for, I did. And same thing with Brian Zara. I have not always agreed, but he has been, by and large, one of the great justices on the Michigan Supreme Court, uh, at least the one going in the right direction when some of them have not. He and <clears throat> Justice Viviano and oftentimes uh, prior Justice Markman, who was forced to retire because of age in the 2020 election, uh, they were uh, the three greats that were keeping things rolling for freedom. Um at least back at that time. He is rated by Ballotpedia as a strong Republican. Um, no way. Okay, of course, my calendar events are jumping up over my screen here. Um, okay, so to AEDU, I just celebrated my 11th anniversary three days ago. See, I knew I liked you, dude, from the day I met you in June mm -hmm. of 2020. There's just so many things that um, we have in common, but um, although... You haven't introduced me to your wife that I can remember. I think my husband's met her, but I haven't. So shame on you, man. Anyway, um, <laughs> so uh, to, to Justice Zara, though, um, I also want you to read the opinions that I've shared because I have highlighted different provisions and talked about in my briefs in several, many of my briefs that I have on my website that I filed in the Michigan Supreme Court, Court of Appeals, in my Allegan County cases, uh, the district court, circuit court, and court of appeals briefs that I've written um, for that Allegan County election day case. I've uh, referenced things that uh, Brian Zara has written throughout the years in recent um, opinions and court cases. So I'm going to direct you to, to read some of those for yourself. And again, you can do that through going to our website. Michigan also has a candidate, Paul Hudson. He is not currently a judge or justice. And uh, my concerns are, let me tell you, he is actually the Republican. Uh, he and Justice Zara are the two that made it out of the Republican uh, convention in August as the candidates. Um, and and I, I'm thinking you still need to, to vote for him. So Justice Zara, absolutely. Please vote for him if you're in Michigan. Uh, Paul Hudson, unfortunately, I think you probably should still vote for him. Now, why do I say unfortunately? If you look at Ballotpedia's candidate survey, he has not one single response or reference to the Constitution in all of his answers to the questions. He could have easily, it teed up in so many ways that he could have just said very generically, oh, I think the number one job of a justice is to follow the dang Constitution. Nope, he couldn't be bothered to do that. He literally never mentioned the Constitution once in any of his candidate survey responses. On his website, I had to dig and dig and dig before I even found references to the Constitution. And he says that a good judge faithfully applies the rules as written, which can be good, maybe, right? Uh, I think Mike, maybe what he's trying to focus on is that it's not a justice's job to rewrite legislation to make it function or whatever. Uh, but really, he has no mention anywhere, even on his own website, of handling 
how you handle unconstitutional rules or laws. So if you don't like a law because it's unconstitutional, then it's your damn job to declare it unconstitutional. That is what your job is as a justice, to put that check and balance on the other two branches of government when they go wrong. Or quite frankly, when your own branch has done something wrong and you're the court of last resort, such as these justices would be part of that state Supreme Court. Um, and just a reminder, oh yes, uh, lots going on here. Um, so I'm thankful to my friend to AEDU, who I think is responding that he will introduce me to his wife sometime soon. And, um, and then we have our friend Rick Martin from the Constitutional Law Group that void judgments, um, talking about void judgments, judgments by judges or justices that don't have jurisdiction for one reason or another, which actually we're going to get to in this um, show here. Uh, but so many rulings are in violation of the Constitution, uh, state constitutions, federal constitutions. Uh, but he then says uh, to check out Marbury versus Madison. And I would say, yes, please do. But you can also make sure to check out uh, Article 6 of our U.S. Constitution as well. So, um, oh, I clicked. I got to keep clicking, I guess. All right. So Michigan, that Kyra or Kira, uh, apologize, I can't pronounce her name correctly, Bolden. Uh, she is a current state rep. She's a Democrat candidate. Uh, and she is a sponsor of House Bill 5542, which is, quote, a bill to establish certain rights related to abortion and reproductive health. Well, if this one side doesn't say it all and tell you whether you should vote for this person or not, you might be following the wrong constitutional attorney. With that being said, we're going to not waste no more time on her and jump to Carrie Lee Morgan. This is a little bit more of an interesting situation. Those of you who, and I had um, even exponentially more people in 2020 that were uh, inundating me very overwhelmingly about who I was supporting for Michigan State Supreme Court Justice in 2020 uh, to the point that I, it wasn't even on my radar, but I was like, okay, fine, guys, I'm busy with all these other things, but yes, I will take a look at who all the candidates are and get back to you. And I, and so I did a video talking about the candidates and quite frankly, got a whole bunch of uh, supposed freedom fighters all in their, their panties all in a bunch because they were upset with my choices because I chose uh, Bar Brock Swartzel as my lead choice and as my secondary choice, I said, please don't uh, support the other supposedly Republican nominee in this nonpartisan election, which is why it's called the Michigan Method, but uh, please do support Carrie Lee Morgan. Now, he, I'm not even sure if he was a party affiliated last time, but this time he is. He's Libertarian Party candidate. He fought against Whitmer's EOs in 2020 in the same cases that I did on behalf of Restore Freedom and unofficially on behalf of all the people and freedoms uh, of the people of the state of Michigan in 2020. I had some great dialogue back and forth with him and um, appreciated the, the efforts that he was making just the same as me where no one was paying us to do it. We were just volunteering our time, talent and resources to fight against those EOs. 
he did not get any kind of oral argument time in any of the cases ever, as far as I know. I'm guessing he didn't request it either. At any rate, um, he, um, my original pick is if you click this video, you'll be able to see the the reasons why. And um, I want to clear up, Lori, this link that you um, were able to find, that was just the ep excerpt of that. It's not the whole super long video, right? Yeah. Yeah. The, the video you did actually covered a lot of different topics. So that was a pullout because a lot of people were asking even after that video. So I, okay. I did that little cutout. It's like two, three minutes. Oh, okay. So guys, super short. I'm going to ask that you go ahead, listen to that video because uh, I don't remember exactly what I said about him, but I'm confident that I would have shared with you enough to give you the reasons why I think you need to support him. But this might be super hard to see. Let me see if I can make it any bigger by doing that. Did it actually make it any bigger? Slightly. Okay, we'll go with this. 20, uh, the 2022 general election. Now this is from, uh, state records for, from January 1st, 2021 through August 22nd, 2022. And this is for, uh, the total amount of funds that have been contributed to candidates for these races and how much has been spent by the candidates on these races. Now, I did not, I, I was not that great at fundraising. Clearly I'm not that great at fundraising because I'm telling you guys, hey, please sponsor an episode uh, or um, a month of episodes or a month of our newsletter, et cetera, because we need your help. Uh, but at any rate, um, I don't personally judge people for not being the best fundraiser. Uh, so just because somebody has not brought in a ton of funds does not mean, oh, they're automatically going to lose. No, even in my local races, I really saw that impacted where we had some people that didn't raise hardly any funds and they um, did by and large great in comparison to those who brought in just a, a stupid amount of money for such a, a local race. But at any rate, in these races, uh, look at these races. Um, th this is for Michigan Supreme Court. We're going to jump to uh, Florida in just a second here. But in the Michigan Supreme Court, for all five of these candidates, you have two uh, Democrat candidates, two Republican candidates, and then Carrie Lee Morgan um, from the Rep uh, Libertarian Party. Contributions through August, really close. I mean, I'm shocked. The lowest was Richard Bernstein at 414,000. The largest was um, Kyra Akira uh, at 496,000, but they were all in the 400,000 range. And then the total number of expenditures actually at that point was very similar. Brian Zara had spent the least at 98,000 and Richard Bernstein had spent the most at 135,000. Um, but they were all right within that, you know, 100,000 to 130,000 range. I'm guessing because they wanted to make sure that they're spending most of their money in um, September and October uh, before the November election. But do you guys see that last line here? Even if you can't read the details on your screen, if you're on a phone and it's like super tiny for you, can you just see the, that there's a fifth line there and there's no orange or yellow, whatever we're calling that color. 
he didn't raise a single penny. He didn't spend a single penny. Now, okay, so if you're like me, somebody who just loves the Constitution and is not all about the politics of it, and you're not that great at fundraising because you're going to be out there talking to people and going to meetings and, you know, working on your court cases, running your ministry, homeschooling your kids. I was doing all that when I was running for state rep. But, you know, you're doing your thing, right? Um, you don't have a lot of time even to do the fundraising. Um, so at any rate, um, but I still had a ton of money just in my state rep race because we donated a ton of money ourselves. But then at least you saw all the, you know, the hundreds of the smaller donations. Oh, okay, I got five here, 20 here, 50 here, 100 here. Okay, there's some. And then you, you saw that I was spending it. I had radio ads. I had um, online stuff. I had business cards. I had flyers. I had events. There was money, right? Chamber of Commerce events and memberships, things like that. Carrie Lee Morgan has literally, at least as of August 22nd, 2022, spent zero dollars, raised zero dollars, donated towards his own campaign, zero dollars. That's something that I'm going, wait a minute, are you even taking this seriously? How is it zero? Where is the effort? So, um... Uh, thank you, Sherry, for joining us and uh, for catching up on the rest later. And Terry on Facebook. Uh, Dan, um, Dan, I'm not sure what you think I should run for right now. I kind of want to run to the beach, actually. But um, I'd be interested to, to hear your thoughts about that. But uh, at any rate, so... Um, that's where I'm concerned. Uh, I don't think at this rate, even though I think he'd be the better person to have in that seat on the Michigan State Supreme Court with Brian Zara, I don't think Carrie Lee Morgan is taking it seriously this year. And for that reason, I guess I'm going to... Um, I'm going to suggest you go with Paul Hudson as the second candidate there, even though he doesn't like to even mention the Constitution. <laughs> and I have that. Dude, why? Why even be in the race if you're not going to put in the effort, if you're not going to spend one cent to make it happen? So... Um, again, this is information that you'll have access to later on this week, so don't worry about getting it now, but do know that it's coming and it'll look on a slide just like this, or you can find it. You can do your own research and find it as well. But for Brian Zara, Carrie Lee Morgan, Paul Hudson, Kara Bolden, and Richard Bernstein, you can find their uh, Michigan campaign finance information, which then gives you the information for a campaign phone, up, excuse me, campaign phone number. Uh, campaign mailing address, that kind of thing, uh, and information about how they've been raising funds and things like that so far. But before we leave Michigan, I want to point you out to third, uh, it says third district, but um, yeah, I guess it's the third district, but judge of court of appeals. So court of appeals judge uh, for a six-year term, court of appeals, six-year term. 
there are two candidates. Now, I'm going to be honest, I should know Kathleen Feeney much better at this point, but my days of, of working uh, and being involved in cases where she was the judge in Kent County Circuit Court, I just don't remember if she was a good judge or not. I think she was okay. Uh, I don't think she was stellar, but I'm not even 100% confident about that. Um, and I served as an attorney and as a guardian ad litem and uh, as a mediator, uh, as a restorative justice facilitator um, in that area in Kent County. And so uh, I came at the legal system from a bunch of different angles. So at any rate, um, I think she'd be okay. But if you live anywhere near uh, shoot, you don't even have to live near. If you just want to support good candidates anywhere in this country, I'm going to ask you to look into uh, Judge Raymond Vote. He is currently the 64A district judge. He was the um, the chief judge for the 64A district court. Um, <clears throat> and he's based out of Ionia. Uh, he is a, um, he was the prosecutor for the city of Ionia before becoming district court judge. And there are cases that he has gotten completely wrong. But when it comes to criminal law, which some may say is one of the most important areas to know your stuff in when you're a judge, uh, especially an appeals judge, he really seemed to have a passion and a knowledge and at least an open ear, if not an understanding himself of those constitutional and legal rights that people have, of those God-given freedoms and the reasons why uh, a case should be dismissed or a prosecutor should have done that. Or Now, I come to you... <clears throat> Mostly, uh, I say this as someone who, um, by and large, the most cases I had in front of him were in my role as a public defender in Ionia County. But I also have my own business, so I was a private attorney as well as, you know, civil cases. And so, um, I mean, I even went in front of him myself and when we had a small claims case. And we sued my husband's um, old boss, uh, not boss, but the old company and the um, insurance third-party payer kind of situation. It was it was all over a, a claim that they denied on insurance for our kids um, involving um, three kids in two different incidents in a span of a week and a half. It was a great time for us. And then for the company to be like, oh yeah, we're not going to cover anything that's an emergency room stuff. Nah, you got to drive to like a 45 minute away hospital for coverage. Anyway, so um, he got that case wrong. Um, and I'm not going to uh, go into the details of that now, but uh, I've told many of you in person and I've talked about it before, but I could tell you that this still is probably got to be the best bet for the Michigan Court of Appeals and where the vast majority of appeals go to die is at the Court of Appeals level. 
And my thoughts are that this is the judge you want in the Michigan Court of Appeals. So whether you're in Michigan or not, it does impact the rest of us in the country uh, because all of these things are blending together and courts and, and government officials and everybody's looking at what other states are doing and, and using it as justification. Well, that court did this or this judge did that or that governor did this. Uh, they're using it as justification for whatever they want to do in their own state. So please make sure uh, that you give him a look. Uh, his information and her information for that race are there. So um, again, this is something I'll be sharing with you on Thursday. Um, so Florida, Florida, like I said, also has seven Supreme Court justices. They serve six-year terms. Uh, at least five justices have to participate in every single case, and at least four must agree on a decision for it to be reached. Uh, and interestingly enough, out of the seven, five terms expire this year in 2023. Uh, three terms, for whatever the reason, expire on uh, January 2nd. Two terms expire on January 3rd. But they are all up for retention election on November 8th. And the filing deadline was April 29th of this year. Now, retention election. It's retention election. It's different. A retention election, remember, we kind of referenced this earlier, is a type of election where voters are asked whether an incumbent judge, one that's already sitting on the bench, should remain in office for another term. So it's that one judge listed on the ballot for a yes or no vote. That's it. So it seems almost pointless, right? It kind of goes to, well, why? If it's automatic, if there's one person on the ballot, maybe your, your frame of mind is there's one person, there's one candidate, they're going to win. I don't have to vote for them. Or I might as well vote for them because there's no other choice. But those races in retention elections, they're different than standard elections. And they are appointed in Florida. They are appointed by the governor. But then they have to face the public approval every six years. So it's a yes or no vote. There's no opponent listed. Um, and in most cases, like in Florida, the judges or justices, um, they have to receive a majority of yes votes to stay on the bench. In some instances, though, they have to have more than just a simple majority. Um, and so what does this mean? If the justice receives a majority of no votes, that justice or judge is removed from the bench. This is not just, oh, there was, um, you know, one candidate and so there's no opposition. There's no point. Even if they get five votes, they're going to win. No, 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 no. This is a different type of election with that one candidate. Your vote is yes or no. Think about it like a proposal. Do you want to vote on Prop 3? Yes or no? I would hope it's no if you're voting on Michigan's Prop 3 this year. But at any rate, um, your vote definitely does matter because uh, the issue is, is this particular judge doing a good job? Just that, just that question alone. Should they be on the bench? Have they been following the Constitution? So if that judge or justice has more no votes than yes votes, they're out of there. And then a replacement is selected using that state's selection method. So if, for example, you have a judge or justice uh, from the Florida Supreme Court that's up for re-election this year that is uh, receives a majority of no votes, then Governor DeSantis would then appoint 
a new judge or justice to the Supreme Court. And then that justice would remain in office until six years from now. So uh, some states, like I said, do impose a supermajority uh, in order to, uh, you know, they have to get more than 50% of um, yes votes in order to stay in office. So the Florida justices up for re-election or retention election, there's five. So if there's five in Michigan that are up for election in the supposed, you know, the nonpartisan Michigan crappy way of doing it. And then there's five justices that are up for individual. So Michigan, you have to vote for two out of those five. It's it's one question and you're selecting two candidates. Brian Zara better be one of them. Paul Hudson probably should be the other one. In Florida, each of these five is its own question. Each person, each justice is a yes or no. Should we keep this judge or not? So Charles Kennedy, I don't even know if I'm going to pronounce these names right. Charles Kennedy, Ricky Polston, uh, Jorge Labarga, uh, John Daniel Curiel, Jamie Rutland Groshans. I probably mispronounced all of those names. But uh, Charles Kennedy started uh, on the court in September 2008. He was appointed by Governor Charlie Crist, who was then a Republican, who's now challenging DeSantis as a Democrat. And he has been rated as a mild Republican by Ballotpedia. Now, I haven't been down here long enough or had enough time in my day to read enough decisions myself <clears throat> to be able to back up <coughs> or challenge uh, Ballotpedia's uh, discernment on whether or not he's a mild Republican. My guess is that because Charlie Crist at the time was technically a Republican, but definitely moderately so, that his choices were probably mid-center mid type of people. And so it would make sense um, that he has survived this long on the court as someone in the middle because he can garner some Democrat support. He can garner some Republican support. But a lot of those that truly believe in one side of the aisle or other uh, on the on issues uh, would not like someone like that. Um, but anyway, I would suggest to you what I plan on doing uh, after some more re research myself, just to double check that I'm correct on, on uh, or that Ballotpedia was correct. Um, I don't plan on voting yes for him. I plan on voting no. Because what does mild Republican really mean? They're not pro-Constitution. They're not God-given liberties. They're not about oath of office. They're not about following the law as written unless the law is unconstitutional and then it just blatantly needs to be overturned no matter what. They're not about being proactive, which they should be, if there are cases, if a case comes in front of a judge or justice and some government official has done wrong, that judge or justice must step in and do something. But so many of them are like, oh, that's judicial activism. Oh, we need to take a, a smaller role and let other branches do their thing. Not if it's unconstitutional. Um, let's see.
Um, I do, I want to touch back on um, to AEDU's question uh, back in Michigan for a second here. I told people, and I can't control how tiny this text is, guys, so I'm sorry, but he says over on YouTube, I told people who asked me to, uh, asked me to just vote for Zara. Uh, I see some strategy in just voting for one, but I'm not sure that is the best way. It is complicated. The way that the voting system works, the top two advance no matter what. So it's a little bit different scenario than you might be thinking. And so in that respect, with the way this system is currently structured in Michigan, now that I think I understand maybe what your question was initially uh, to AEDU, definitely vote for two. Because otherwise, that is literally saying, well, I'm just not going to vote on the second seat. You have to vote on both seats. Make your voice heard on both seats. Because otherwise, you know, your neither candidate may win. <clears throat> so um, I would definitely, definitely vote for, for both. Um, and uh, our friend Rick Martin says that what matters is what is constitutional. Yes. Always, always. Um, let's see here. Um, and I also uh, also like this comment here. The time, it's so tiny. I can hardly read it when it's on here. The time is now that we the people hold servants accountable for their violations to their oath of office. Yes. Yes. And who knows? Maybe people like Rick Martin and the Constitutional Law Group can work with people like Constitutional Attorney Catherine Henry and Liberty Laurie of uh, Restore Freedom and get stuff rolling in 2023 on a systematic level all across the country, or perhaps just starting with two states like Michigan and Florida, on compiling all the ways to use the system against them, the laws, the statutes, the uh, court rules, the procedures to nail them for violating their oaths of office. That would be fabulous. Ooh, I just scared the crap out of Lori. Did you guys see that? I said I was having her join in on something with me and she bailed. <laughs> so no, she's probably having technical difficulties, but, um, all right. So, um, all right, Ricky Polston, he's been on the court since 2008 in Florida as a Supreme Court Justice. He was also appointed by the then supposedly Republican Governor uh, Charlie Crist. He was also rated by Ballotpedia as a mild Republican. And on him, too, I actually plan to double check my, my findings so far and then vote no to get rid of him. Because a mild Republican in this writing system is someone who is not strong on the Constitution and who does not hold other government officials responsible to their oath of office. Jorge Labarga, hopefully I'm saying that correctly. He's been on the bench since January 2009, also appointed by Governor Charlie Crist, rated by uh, Ballotpedia as a mild uh, Republican. And let me tell you this. Abortion, this is out of a headline that I, I uh, summarized or, or paraphrased here. Listen to this. Abortion rights advocates, those who are all about abortion rights, they are urging voters to reject all Supreme Court justices to vote no on all five Supreme Court justices except Jorge Labarga. Abortion rights advocates want to keep 
only one justice of all these five, and it is this guy. That tells me I'm probably right in how I came to my conclusion so far about these candidates, and that he's definitely getting a big fat no vote from me this year. Um, <laughs> um, yes, yes, another thought. Uh, sheriffs are important in taking back America from the power elite. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, I need to do some more work on that. I guess I should take that down for the time being and not to get too far off track with what we're doing here. All right, so uh, Florida Justice John Daniel Coriel, he's been on the bench, bench since June of 2020. He was appointed by Governor Ron DeSantis, and he is rated by Ballotpedia as a strong Republican. Now, number one, he was appointed by Ron DeSantis. Number two, he's rated by Ballotpedia as a strong Republican. Uh, those two things so far tell me he's likely going to be someone I would want to keep on the bench. So I'm going to, again, do my additional research that I want you guys to do as well to confirm any suspicions or preconceived notions. And then uh, it looks like I might have to give me a second here. Lori, if you are there and you cannot add yourself back on, let me. Oh. Oh, there you are. Oh, it just took a moment for my side to. Learn. So if okay. I'm just sitting there, it's because my side's still finishing up loading. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, so, um, everybody was commenting too that uh, we must have uh, scared the crap out of you when I was. Uh, see, uh, we got uh, scared the crap out of Lori. She's gone. <laughs> You must not have liked what I was saying that the you know we're gonna work with uh, maybe the likes of Rick Martin or others on trying to hold government <laughs> officials accountable in 2023. Um, and uh, good buddy of mine, uh, Sheriff Darleaf, Barry County, uh, B A R R Y, just for those of you who might Google it. But uh, anyway, he is uh, a constitutional sheriff, and um, uh, definitely. Um, we need more of people like him. So, um, all right. Um, so, uh, like I said, John Daniel Coriel, someone I plan to, um, after follow-up, plan to vote yes on retaining. Now, Florida Justice Jamie Rutland Groshans has been on the bench only since September 2020, also appointed by Governor Ron DeSantis, not rated by Ballotpedia. Now, it, they just didn't rate her because she wasn't on the Supreme Court at the end of August when they had this all done and, and said. So uh, at any rate, uh, there is no rating system. I do plan on obviously doing some more research, but the fact that uh, Governor Ron DeSantis is the one that appointed her and the other person that he has appointed to the Florida Supreme Court in 2020 is rated already as a strong Republican. Those are indicators to me that she's someone in the right direction that I should look at wanting to vote yes on retaining as Florida Supreme Court justice. Now, here's some things I want you guys to keep in mind, no matter what state you live in, that, you know, we, we talked about this. You guys have to have the, um, the guts, the courage, the confidence to go and talk to any candidate 
call, email, go to an event in person. If you're close to their office or whatever, campaign headquarters or something, you go to the same church as them. Have that personal conversation. Don't be afraid to do so. Uh, and remember some of these key basics, okay? And remember these basics, even if you're not going to take the opportunity to contact them, but you're at least going to do some research on your candidates for all offices, but certainly Supreme Court elections this year. We the people created our Constitution and our very form of government. I want you to look at that U.S. Constitution preamble, the Michigan and Florida state constitution preambles, and of course, the Declaration of Independence. Government's main purpose and responsibility is to protect our God-given liberties so that in my pursuit of um, exercising my rights, I'm not impeding upon your ability to exercise your rights. And our rights are to be exercised undiminished, unrestrained, unabridged, uninfringed, unviolated, undenied, undeprived, unabused, and unusurped. And if you're wondering why that's so many unwords, well, that's because I pulled together all of the parts of just, quite frankly, the U.S. and Michigan constitutions, because that's something I pulled together two years ago now and uh, hadn't even looked at Florida or any other constitutions. But your constitution, your state constitution, if you're not in Michigan, does have a lot of those as well. And like I said, if you look at the Declaration of Independence or the U.S. Constitution, um, you'll see a lot of those references there just in that context. Government itself has no rights. Look at those Ninth and Tenth Amendments. If you're somebody who's heard about states' rights or heard uh, of people on uh, the, the left or the right arguing about states' rights, guess what? The Democrats have it right on this. You know why? Because it's not about states' rights. States and local governments have no rights. How can I say that? Well, take a look at some of our prior videos from earlier this week uh, because no government has rights. God gave us our rights. But government not only doesn't have rights, but government only has those powers which we delegate to it. Where do I get that information? Well, of course, look at um, the Article 4, Section 4 of the U.S. Constitution guaranteeing us that Republican form of government, that's literally what it means, those rights, excuse me, those powers uh, given to the government are only those which we delegate to it specifically in the Constitution. Uh, also look at the Tenth Amendment to the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence. So what does this all mean? Government cannot act unless there is a specific power granted by the Constitution, government is prohibited from doing anything that violates the U.S. or state constitutions. And uh, that's where we could put up uh, Rick Martin's comments earlier from Marbury versus Madison, etc. And every government official is sworn to the oath. The U.S. Constitution is the supreme law of the land. Well, like I said, that's uh, Article 6 of the U.S. Constitution and specifically what this means. We just kind of referenced that, but I'm going to give it to you this way. This means that no federal law, no state law, no state constitution, no court order, no other government action, no executive order or DHS mandate can be repugnant to the Constitution. Any law, state constitutional provision, court order or government action that is repugnant to the Constitution is void. That's what it means. All judges are re 
required. It's not optional. It's not like, oh, well, I'm of a different religion. And so I, did whatever, I have to swear some other allegiance. Um, it, no. All judges are required to take the constitutional oath of office. Where is that found? Well, it's actually found in a lot of different statutes and in, in each state as well. But the U.S. Constitution, Article 6, the Michigan State Constitution, Article 11, Section 1, the Florida Constitution, uh, excuse me, the, the Michigan Statutes 15.151 and Florida Statutes 112.311. Those are some beginning places to look for where you can find that. Another thing to remember, especially when you're thinking about uh, researching about talking to candidates of state Supreme Courts, case precedent is not law, not. Legislative powers belong to Congress or to the state legislature, even on a uh, local level, it's to your local legislative bodies, your city council, your county council, whatever it's called. Uh, separation of powers is key. In U.S., it is, um, I guess we're going to call it implied because the words are not in there, but there is Article 1, Article 2, and Article 3 of the U.S. Constitution, where we have legislative, executive, and judicial powers all laid out in separate articles. So there is a separation of powers. But in Michigan, there are literally the words separation of powers and non-delegation that you cannot utilize the powers of one branch of government while you are exercising the powers of another branch of government. That's Article 3, Section 2 of the Michigan State Constitution. And I do believe the Florida State Constitution has something very similar to that as well. In fact, I want to say the Florida State Constitution is Article 2, Section 3, while Michigan is Article 3, Section 2 for that same provision. So what other things should you consider when you're researching or thinking about these candidates for office, well, jurisdiction, what is it? Why, why does that matter here? It's the court's power to hear and decide a case. This kind of goes to something else that Rick uh, Martin was mentioning earlier. So there's main types. There's territorial jurisdiction, personal jurisdiction, subject matter jurisdiction. Don't gloss over yet. It's okay. And this will be shared with you later if you want to reference it and read it several times. These are actually slides and topics we've talked about in prior episodes. In fact, we did a whole big show just about jurisdiction. But physical location, that's where we're talking about territorial jurisdiction. Um, so the 57th District Court has jurisdiction only over matters that take place in Allegan County, Michigan, for example. They can have nothing to do with anything from Barrie County, Michigan, or Ingham County, Wayne County, whatever. Personal jurisdiction, a court's power to bring a person into its adjudicated process. So a court has authority to decide matters over a particular person. If I have never been to the state of California and I don't transact any business in California and I didn't, I don't want anything to do with dumbass California, then they can exercise no jurisdiction over me. If somebody decided they don't like what I'm doing and uh, they want to make my life challenging by filing some stupid case in California and some California judge seems to think, oh yeah, I'm going to go ahead and entertain that. I'll be like, you know what? You don't understand the first thing about personal jurisdiction because you don't have any authority over me there. So, um, well, look at that. I picked on California the first time I put this slide together. I should have just gone with my slides. All right, subject matter jurisdiction. This is the big one. 
This is jurisdiction over the nature of the case and the type of relief sought. So an example is going to be like bankruptcy courts, right? Federal bankruptcy courts, they can't do anything with divorce cases, child custody, child support, nothing. They just can't. It's a topic. It's a subject that bankruptcy courts can't touch. Well, because they can only touch bankruptcy. That's that's why it's an easy example. But it's important to, to realize, and I, I have some references here to Michigan cases to give you where I got these exact quotes from, but these are concepts that are universal in the whole United States. Subject matter jurisdiction. Listen to this. A trial court must dismiss an action or a case where there is lack of subject matter jurisdiction. Must dismiss. And a party cannot be from raising the issue. Well, what's funny about that for me is not really funny, but that's I, I was stopped in Allegan County uh, in district court, in circuit court, in the court of appeals of the state of Michigan from raising that issue, how the district court had absolutely zero jurisdiction over the subject matter because you cannot be criminally responsible for trespassing on property open to the general public. But, you know, whatevs. Uh, this lack of jurisdiction can be raised at any time and cannot be waived. Some of your other rights, the courts have, incorrectly or not, have said, oh, if you don't raise that right within a certain period of time, if you don't raise that issue, then you can't raise it later on. You have to raise it at trial or you have to raise it in your first pleadings uh, you know, the first set of paperwork you file with the court. Sometimes you have to raise issues right away. Otherwise, your right to challenge those issues is gone. But subject matter jurisdiction, you can literally raise it at any time. You don't have to bring it up at trial at all. Maybe you're not an attorney and you didn't really know what you were doing or you're in a challenging situation and had limited resources. And it wasn't until your case is done with that you realize, oh my gosh, I knew something was wrong. This judge didn't have jurisdiction over this case at all. You can raise that issue brand new for the first time on appeal. And it's one of the rare situations that you can bring up on appeal without bringing it up at the trial level first. And that's because this issue cannot be waived. And again, this one is a Michigan Supreme Court case, but it is an issue all over the United States. Um, Again, the practical result of somebody who successfully challenges the lack of subject matter jurisdiction is to prevent a trial from taking place at all, rather than to prescribe procedural rules that govern the conduct of trials. So sometimes when you have an appeal, you're doing it in a way that's saying, um, you know, I'm asking that this whole case get dismissed because of X, Y, Z. That's what this is. Dismissed with prejudice can never be filed again. No court has the right to, to handle this case. But sometimes you're saying, well, really, I'm filing this appeal because this particular procedure wasn't done correctly. So I need the appeals court or the Supreme Court to tell this lower court how to fix it, how to do it better. Um, and this is something, too, that... Um, uh, goes hand in hand with that that quote that uh, Rick Martin was mentioning earlier. Um, a judgment of conviction. Now, this is just speaking to criminal cases, but it goes hand in hand with that Marbury versus Madison talking about void judgments. 
a judgment of conviction pronounced by a court without jurisdiction is void. And a judge of the United States should be alert to examine the facts for himself when, if true, as alleged, they would make the trial absolutely void. And that is the Johnson v. Zerbst case from the U.S. Supreme Court in 1938. And that's still good case precedent that they call it today. Now, why am I even talking about court cases if cases aren't case law? Well, because partly, and this is a big reason, because I'm going to speak their language when I put together court briefs and I file uh, briefs in the U.S. Supreme Court or in the Michigan Supreme Court or in the future in the Florida Supreme Court. When I'm filing briefs in these appellate cases, I'm going to speak their language because these justices and these judges are used to case law being the thing that they start with instead of the Constitution. Well, even case precedent is telling them what they have to do in these situations. Okay, so um, so when you have a judge who doesn't care, like, oh, say, uh, Judge Belarjan of the 57th District Court in Allegan County, Michigan, who did not care for almost two years that he didn't have subject matter jurisdiction over the case, You have to care. You have to pay attention. You have to dismiss the case. You don't have a choice. So to our true or false question of the day, state Supreme Court justices. Um, oh, hold on a minute. Um, thank you, Terry. And we'd love to have you uh, catch up with us later. Um, and I might have missed some really good uh, questions and comments here. I apologize if I have been share the link to this doc. Ooh, um, I'm so sorry. There was a comment here asking me to share a link to a document. I don't even know what document we were talking about that at that time. So, but, um, all that might've been your, uh, your, uh, presentation slideshow. Yeah. And so look for that on Thursday. Yes. It will be shared in the description of the video that we share on Thursday, our constitution segment recap. That is a 10 minute or less video. So how am I going to cram two hours into 10 minutes? Wish me luck. Uh, but Rick Martin points out case law may not be law. However, it is the roadmap to follow. That is a very good analogy, a very good way to look at it. Um, in fact, uh, Lori, before we close out here for the day, if you can um, uh, even take a screenshot of that um, comment here, I... Uh, I think that would be good um, for us to comment on. And, and I want to give Rick credit for saying it that way too. So, um, okay. So uh, true or false, our question is state Supreme Court justices like U.S. Supreme Court justices are on the bench for life. There's no retention election, no re-election, no reappointment needed. Once they've been elected or appointed, then they're on. Is that true or false? Um what happened? <laughs> My slideshow stopped. Well, you still have time to go and put your answer in. Now I'm giving you the cheat here. The answer is false. Unlike U.S. Supreme Court justices, state Supreme Court justices are reelected. 
So uh, if you want more information, please make sure to join us on Wednesday. That's tomorrow for our Wednesday Way to Get Involved Challenge. Uh, on Thursday, we will have that Constitution segment recap with, of course, uh, the link to this very slideshow or a slightly modified version um, <clears throat> that is designed specifically for being a Constitution segment recap, but it'll have all those references uh, and sometimes more. And of course, Friday, our Freedom Fighting Tools Friday. So uh, sometimes you get the uh, little bit of the information shared with you here and Thursday, but then we go ahead and just point blank share at least three tools with you in simple kind of bullet pointed format on um, all of our social media. I want to say it's uh, 16 different platforms that we'll share that on. Uh, on the, best, the best place for anybody to go, though, is our, our website in the updates tab. Even if they're they're like, I miss this whole week. For one, sign up for the newsletter because you also get it. But for two, go to our updates tab and you're not going to be weeding through all the other social media posts at other social media platforms. So I just wanted to plug that. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So, and another plug, like I mentioned earlier at the beginning of this episode, we do have some sponsorship opportunities coming up. Uh, everything that we're doing here is out of pocket. No one's paying me to do any of this work. So all the research I do, uh, all the hours and hours and hours of work going into reading the stuff and putting it together, I, shoot, I'm never going to be compensated for that. I'd love to uh, at least get minimum wage for doing that, but uh, I'm, I'm probably not going to get that. But what I would really like your help with is paying for the out-of-pockets, the out-of-pocket expenses we have on our, um, on my little list here. Um, on our doing our general work, you know, keeping the lights on, keeping the power on, but um, our newsletter that costs us out of pocket every month, uh, keeping our website that Lori just mentioned, keeping that up and running. And again, it's nobody's running it. It's me. I'm doing all the coding. I'm doing all the programming, you know, putting all the stuff on there, which is why it's taking an eternity to get everything on there that I want on there for you. But there's nobody that we're paying and no middleman. It's just the hosting and uh, the plugins and, and and that kind of thing. Um, our Restore Freedom Constitution app, and we want to convert to an even way better app, hopefully before the end of the year. So we need those of you uh, uh, that appreciate having the Constitution in your pocket at a, in an app type format, please uh, help us in that regard. Um, our Constitution um, courses or, or uh, conversations that we're having here, Restore Freedom Weekly episodes, uh, we're asking for you to consider supporting us for a month and getting your, you know, the word out in turn for your business or your organization. Same holds true for the Constitution segment recaps that we do on Thursdays and the different sponsorship opportunities that would be available for each depend on, on, you know, the time involved or if it's a print format like our newsletter. And those uh, will all be specifically identified when, as soon as I'm done rewriting re and recoding and re whatever our shop donate page that we have. Uh, so I'm hoping maybe ish by the end of today, or if not by the end of the week, um, that we'll have all that done, but you'll see those on there. And then we'll really start ramping up and telling you about all of our, um, all of our information. Um, 
And uh, our friend here on, on YouTube is saying, uh, could you use some skills that I can offer? We'd love to have volunteers helping in some way. So please reach out to us um, as Lori shared. Um, and I'll share this here because we have um, others that might be willing to offer as well. Are you good at putting data in spreadsheets? Are you good at uh, computer stuff? Are you good at putting together graphics? Are you good at um, just marketing and, and getting in touch with other um, YouTubers or, or other influencers, I guess is the term these days with all the cool kids. Uh, and, and, you know, you can connect us so we can work together and grow each other's um, um, awareness of the work that we're doing. Um, by all means, please please do so. So um, with that being said, I've taken up so much of your time on this wonderful, beautiful Tuesday. My understanding is it's going to be a sunny high of 84 here in Florida today, but actually oh, a, sunny, a sunny high, at least in <laughs> West Michigan, of 73 degrees. Last day to not wear a coat in Michigan is what I heard on my radio on Joy 99 uh, this morning. But at any rate, um, so we wish all of you a wonderful rest of your afternoon. Thank you so much. And again, before you close out today, please make sure that you've hit the like button, the share button, the sign up for notifications button, and uh, considered possibly donating or even volunteering in some way. I'm constitutional attorney, Catherine Henry, and this is Liberty Lori. And this has been your 41st episode of Restore Freedom Weekly. Thanks so much, everyone. Have a great